Before we kick off this great episode of Total Reboot, Cam and I just want to let you know a couple of really cool things that we're getting up to very soon. Firstly, I want to tell you about a project that I'm really passionate about, really excited about. It's coming up on July 19th at the Giant Dwarf Theatre. Aaron Chan and I are hosting a live table read of one of our most favourite film scripts of all time. It is the Australian classic Looking for Ella Brandy by Melina Marchetta. Uh, based on her great novel. She's going to be in attendance as well. It's my favorite movie of all time. It's a movie that means the most to me, more than anything else. And uh, we've got a great cast. We're going to be reading the script on stage. I'm going to be reading the directions. Aaron's going to be playing a character. Cameron James from this podcast is also in this uh, we've also got Jordan Raskopoulos from Axis of Awesome, Theodore Satan that you may know as Superwog, and a very good friend of ours, one of our favourite improvisers in town, Conchetta Caristo, is going to be playing Josie Alabrandi herself. Uh, I'm really excited for this. It's a one-off event, but if peeps of people come, we'll probably get to do more sillier and crazier ones in the future. But this one is super important to us. It is based on the most important Sydney movie of all time, in my opinion, July 19th. Tickets are on sale right now. You can go to the show notes for this episode and pick them up. We'll see you then. Hey, Jungle Babies. It's Cameron here. Just a little reminder, please come and check out my Comedy Store show on Saturday, the 17th of August. I'm doing my solo show, Strawberry Blonde. A bunch of you guys saw it during the festival run, but I'm doing a freaking encore biatch (laughs) and bastard (laughs) <laughs> you can start again if you want nope, to. Nope, <laughs> I'm going to use this. I'm committed to it, and I like the tone that I've hit with it. So if you're a biatch or a bastard... <laughs> <laughs> Come to the Comedy Store in Sydney on the 17th of August and check out my show. I reckon you'll have a lol. I did have a lol. You can just buy tickets from a link in the podcast description itself right now. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Cameron James, allow me to begin this podcast with a question. Can you feel the pod tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can, I can, Alexi. Can you? You bet I can. And the pod in question that I feel mm. is Total Reboot, hosted by you, Cameron James, and me, Alexi Toliopoulos. Now, what the heck is this podcast about, man? Allow me to tell you, man. It's a podcast... <laughs> Dedicated to cinema and film, the only one of which that exists. And we specifically talk about reboots, remakes, and rip-offs, comparing and contrasting them with their original movies. This mm. week, we are going to the original movie time session. And that is on the release date. Right now, we are recording on the release date of the remake of the film in question, directed by the man in question, mm. John Favreau. Jonathan Favropolis. One of the great filmmakers of the modern era. 
of the blockbuster film. And the reason we're kind of hanging on uh, Fav at the moment mm-hmm. is because we're in the middle of FavFest. FavFest 2019. Use the hashtag online. Get the talk going. Get FavFest buzzing. We've been trying to get Fav on the phone. Yep. So far, no luck. Not responding to tweets. Yeah. Doing no even... favours for us, if you know what I mean. Yes. No favours. No favours. <laughs> <laughs> but we are trying to get Fav on the phone. This is the only film festival that is exclusively available on mobile phones. You can get Fav on the phone. Cameron, you've been uh, mainlining Fav on your phone to yourself. I have. You've been getting Fav on the Fizz. Fav on the Fizz. I have bought every single movie in this film festival on physical media to watch so far. Did you already have uh, today's episode's film? Today's episode's film, which we can reveal. The Let's secret. Do it. Let's let the cat. Out of the bag, if you will. Okay, <laughs> and that's when interesting. I mean cat, I'm talking about big cats, uh, a jungle cat, or a, a jungle cat, or say, um, if you were to think of the biggest cat in the world, you probably think of the one played by <sighs> famous cat burglar, uh, Vincent Pastore in The it's- Sopranos. He is a big cat of some description. He's a big kitty or something. <laughs> I, I can't, can't re- remember, remember exactly what it is. The character's name, but yeah. I, he's a cat burglar. That's where he got the name from. And I he's think larger than life. Yeah, and he is. A big fella. But my favorite not movie, by the way, Big Fellas. <laughs> we'll Sorry, would. Dom DeLuise. <laughs> and Vincent Pastore <laughs> and also Joe Pesci as Little Fella. But no. We're not talking about Big Fellas tonight. We're talking about the biggest cat out there on the savannah prowling the Pride Lands. Yep. We're talking about a cat called. The lion. And no, I'm not lion. That's true. Mm. If you were the Lion King, heck, you'd probably be Donald Trump, if you know what I mean. Now, that's interesting because you're suggesting that this man is mm. not very forthcoming. Yeah, it's um, it's an entendre, if yeah. you will, yeah. of lion, which means proud animal yeah. and, um, uh, you know, someone who lies. Sure, sure, It sure. is like the verb of such a thing. Sure, sure, sure. So your suggestion... Is of course, a Donald Trump chief of staff yeah. over in the United States of America. It is rumored that he lies. Not very honest man. Yes, but he is king. Hey. You got to. <laughs> Along live the king. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the, it's the Lion King. We're talking about the Lion King. We're talking about the Lion King. Um, I did have this on physical media. Not only do I have this on physical media, I've owned this on every physical media since VHS. Mm. I've had the VHS. Sure. Which stands for? um, Vehicle for... I have no idea. (laughs) You don't know what it stands for? Uh, Video heads up system. Something like that. Video head system. Yeah, I think so. Video head system. I think that's what it is. Oh, God. I would love to get some video. (laughs) I'd love to get some... VHS, if you know what I mean. <laughs> then next next format. DVD. Okay. Got that diamond edition. Uh, digital versatile disc. Wonderful stuff. Yep. Then I bought the not just Blu-ray, but the 3D Blu-ray of The Lion King. Holy shit. Yeah, and honestly, the 3D Blu-ray of The Lion King is sensational. Really? That's why I bought it because I was curious to see how it would be adapted to 3D. Stunning. It's Wonderful absolutely stuff. stunning. It makes it like it gives it a whole new dimension if you will is it like you're there <laughs> it's like you're actually there okay but it, no it is stunning it's i can't i don't have the vocabulary to ex- describe what it is because i thought it would be kind of like two-dimensional dioramas sure it, that's what i'm picturing it's not it gives like actual depth to it all okay. which is pretty crazy if you don't have the vocab to describe it can you make a noise that sums up how you feel when you watch it holy schmackolas <laughs> this is real <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. All right, well, Not so much a noise, but a full character, <laughs> I would say. He went cross-eyed when you did it, too. <laughs> I had to sell it so it would play in the room. Yeah, well, it And killed. the version I watched uh, this week is uh, 4K UHD, okay. ultra-high-definition Blu-ray. smell vision <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's got full-on smell vision It comes with a little kitty litter pre-used to really get the smell going oh in the room. Oh, my God. I would hate to be in the room for that Pumba scene where he talks about breaking wind. Jeez Louise. Oh, first fart ever in a Disney animated film. Really? Yes, first one ever. It was... That is a watershed moment. It is a watershed (laughs) moment. I mean, uh, The Little Mermaid was the first to queef, but... (laughs) (laughs) Bumble was right on the line yeah, right after. Yeah, yeah, That's exciting, man. Yeah, very, very exciting stuff. That's great. So you watched it on 4K. Yeah, and it's absolutely beautiful. Looks looks stunning. This I I would say this might be the film, one of the films I've watched the most. Mm. It was the first film I ever saw in the cinema. Yeah, right. Um, so it changed my whole life. Up until then, I was three years old and bored <laughs> all the time. Then this made me sit down, shut up, and get into a flick. <laughs> For once in your goddamn mouth, you shut your trap and I you shut the hell you up. stared at the screen and you said, Holy schmuckolas, this is real <laughs> this is the real stuff. This is the real stuff. I could get used to this kind of life. <laughs> How old were you? Three. three. I was Jeez, three years old. Please. My godparents took me. My um, godparents. My god, all my godparents took me. Uh my godfather and my godmother. Mm. And uh, I became obsessed with Lion King. I had so much like merchandise, yeah. countless toys, like the little actiony figures, mm-hmm. uh, but also had like these great um, like plush toys, mm. like a kind of almost life size Simba and Nala uh, from when they were kids, not these giant <laughs> ferocious lions. And they had this cool thing where they had like magnets in their nose, so they'd kiss. So they, could I remember kiss. those. Do you toys. Had those? I don't know if I had them, but I remember them from. Uh, other people's toy collections. I also, big Lion King fan. Yeah. Not the first movie I saw in the cinema. Mm-hmm. That, that belongs to, the honour of that which belongs the to. The honour of which belongs to Debbie Does Dallas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Papa took you out for the day. Yeah, yeah, no. It was uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And I famously cried at the very end when the beast got turned back into a prince because I hated the design of the prince. <laughs> and I said that. Mum said, oh, it's okay. They're, they're I, in love. I, I despise said, the design of this character. To me. He looks foolish. <laughs> His neck's too thick. <laughs> Did you say he looks foolish? <laughs> I swear on my freaking, your life, he's a foolish designed <laughs> character. Foolishness, I say. I hate this. Let's go back to the beast. Thank you. Yeah. But I did see The Lion King, obviously, very early on. Loved yeah. it. We had the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Played it in the car nonstop for years after it came yeah. out. Also, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember there was like a short-lived um, Timon and Pumbaa? Yeah. Kind of, no, it wasn't even a series. It was like a... It was straight to DV, uh, straight to video. I think it was a series of. on like Disney Channel and maybe Saturday Disney. Yeah, I think there would have only been six apps or something, yeah. and they all came out on two VHSs. Yeah, we had those, and we watched them all the time. Yeah, and I fucking loved those. Yeah, they were funny because they were just like more abstract. Like they were, it wasn't just like a straight adaptation of what's happening. Yeah, it's like they were going on holidays. Yeah, and stuff there was like, like Timon and Pumbaa on vacation was one of the things. One, I remember one mini episode was literally just them singing Stand now, By Me. Now, when you me. say mini episode and you're talking mm. about Disney, people might get confused. 
define what you mean. Mini, it stands for miniature. Okay, so like a small mouse of an episode. No, no, like a like a shorter. Oh, shorter, shorter run, run time. time. Yeah, shorter run time. God, yeah. say that next time. Short run time. Oh, Go. good lord! No, look, don't get me hung up on uh, Disney and the Mouse House. I love the Mouse House. Yeah, I love calling it the Mouse House. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I like this. I think this is the movie that's responsible for my love of Disney for sure. Definitely, I and love them too. And um, I've been to. Have you been to Disneyland? I've been to Disneyland twice. Which I used one? to work for Disney. Oh, you worked for the My Disney first Channel. job out of uni was working at Disney Channel Yeah, Australia. you were the fluffer for uh, <laughs> Mickey and Minnie's root scenes, yes? I mean, not far off from what I did sometimes <laughs> for that. You worked for Disney Channel. What I did worked you do Disney that? Channel when I was like 21. I was oh 21. Oh, my God. So all those years life. ago, yeah. it was. I was Hormones the, running The rampant. hottest I've ever been in my life, and I had a cool job. <laughs> um, I uh, was like a production assistant for Disney Channel Australia. Okay. So like all the little short interstitial things we would yeah. do and like I'd build props and like make databases and stuff <laughs> like that. And like I shot like short... I think we talked about this when we did Blank Slate days. Like I shot like behind the scenes footage for a Tim O'Matic music video that oh, they made. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like so sweaty that I took a sh- like a I took a shower in the sink and just like washed my whole body down with hand soap. <laughs> Gave yourself a, a little a uh, yeah, a little some sort of bath. Uh. Um, yes, I just I like have such an affinity for their works, and I think yeah. this is this honestly I would put up there. Like, just re-watching it again, it'd probably only been a year since I'd last seen it, but mm. just, like, I think that of all the films that we've watched on this podcast, and we've covered some, like, cl- absolute undeniable masterpiece classic films, like Halloween, Psycho, Hidden Fortress, Nightmare on Elm Street, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, mm. I would rank this right up there in that upper echelon of films that we've covered that have inspired other works. Yeah, I'm with you. I, um... It's a funny one because I've, I'm, as you know, I'm not a huge animation mm. guy, but I would say without question, this is a masterpiece yep. and a classic cin- bit of cinema. And I would put it in my top 10 for all time. All time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I just love it. I mean, and I don't know how much of that is nostalgia, but watching it again for this, it, I was trying to separate my young mm. self from it. It's yep. very hard because yeah. you, you grew up with it, but we talked about that a lot in our Zathura episode. Yeah. Like, about hooks and Jumanji. Totally. And you, and you just, you know it. You've already decided in your brain yep. that you're watching a classic. So, I was trying to separate it. But, I mean, it's just, I really, I really do believe that it's one of the all-time great films. Yep. And it uh, deserves all the credit it's gotten. And I really fucking hope it doesn't get undone by this new one. I'm sorry, mm. Favreau. I love you. But I'm just, you know, I am... One of the people who's out there saying, I don't need to see You're it. skeptical. Yeah, I don't need to see yeah. a new Lion King. I mean, I think everything that we've been through doing this podcast, it leads us to being skeptical mm. on the remakes. There mm. are a few that we think are superior. There are a few that are interesting. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if we look at the films I just mentioned that have had, some of them have had unsuccessful remakes. Some of them have had interesting remakes. <laughs> but I think... All of the reputations of those films, the original works, are still gloriously intact. Like, mm. I, like mm. this Gus Van Sant Psycho reboot remake, one of the weirdest movies we've ever yeah. seen. It didn't undo Psycho at all, and I'm not worried about that. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm, I'm also not one of those people who's saying there cannot be another one. It's going to mm. ruin my childhood. Yeah. It's not. not I at just all. don't feel like I need to see it, and I understand why it is being made, and I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. But I just, I'm not 
dying out for it. I'm like, yeah. But I, I haven't been for any of these. Yeah. So I went to Disneyland Paris last year yeah. and um, you know how they do that like fireworks display at like at 10 o'clock at yeah. night or whatever on the castle and they project characters from their movies mm. on the castle and stuff. It really freaked me out seeing the live action ones up there interacting oh, really? with the animated ones. Yeah. Oh. So you had uh, all the classic animated things and obviously Mickey's running amok and, mm. you know, you're fluffing his cock together. Yeah, I made, it the, I made it on there. <laughs> yeah, I saw a little bit of Alexi on there. Yeah. But then it cut to, you know, like live action Emma Watson from Beauty and the Beast. That is nuts. And it really freaked me out and it really did plant the seed that in 10, 15 years time, it'll all be that or it'll all be the new yeah. CG characters and no, the but I don't animated think... ones will be kind of... If not, they won't be wiped from existence, but I think they will be wiped from those kind of moments. Mm. I, I think that you could, I think you're wrong. Uh, I hope that you're wrong. I hope I am too. Because I think if you look at Disney, they are such like, a, um, in a positive way, a self-aggrandizing company. Mm. Their history of Disney is so entwined to their parks, to their mm. works. That's why they're making these remakes because the history is important to them. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that well, I mean, that's not why. They, make, they want to make fucking money. Like yeah. Beauty and the Beast remake is one of the five highest grossing films of all time, pretty much. <laughs> and yeah. so, like, but I think that part of Disney's whole ethos as a company is honoring their past and like showing mm. off their past because you know they're responsible for some of the greatest films of all time, but uh, more importantly, some of the most like iconic imagery ever put to screen mm. and that is emblazoned the memories of everyone. So I don't think that any of these <laughs> these films. These remakes, even if they are great, even if they are good, they're not going to replace that imagery. I don't think Especially so. Especially in the minds of young people, I don't think I don't think that's it. I just think that they're these films are becoming old, and mm. it'll, it's not like they're going to be gone forever. But it's going to be like in the way where you go to people like us, we go to Disneyland, yeah, and then you see all the cool shit, you see all the shit you want to see, like yeah. the Toy Story stuff and the Star Wars stuff and Marvel and all that shit. And all these characters. But then you can go to like fairy tale land where you'll see Snow White and yeah. Cinderella and shit. I reckon that's what these characters are going to end up being. Mm. In like 50, 60 years, they'll be like, should we go to the um, jungle or the African savannah yeah. world? And everyone will be like, oh, fine. All right. We'll go look oh, at Mufasa and shit. I don't want to go see I mean, all these Tarzan's old tree house. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go to the freaking jungle cruise uh, <laughs> <laughs> now reinvigorate with the rock and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jack Whitehall. I want to go there. Oh, God. That will be the new thing. Yeah. Oh. That'll be it. I reckon we should dive into our actual discussion on this film itself. Because okay. I think talking about this, is I work on a lot of memories on our Patreon group in Facebook. We shared. Mm. Uh, I put a post up while I was watching the movie sharing the memories of this. And it's been really, really lovely talking about it. But I think on this rewatch, I was able to see it for the film that it was as well and that mm. made me even more excited to talk about it today mm -hmm. so let's take a little look at the long kid <laughs> Thank you. 
The Lion King, 1994, directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff. Life's greatest adventure is finding your place in the circle of life. A young lion cub named Simba can't wait to be king, but his uncle craves the title for himself and will stop at nothing to get it. Does that sum up the movie for you? I think it does. I think there's a lot of stuff missing from it, mm. um, which is stuff I really enjoyed this time as well. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I was shocked by because I always was, think that The Lion King is like a perfect three-act film. First act introduces you to the world. Mm. Second act is like this slow, weird, like slacker movie, basically. <laughs> and then the final act is like this ginormous like battle and regaining things. So I think it's like this kind of perfect like three-act structure of a film. And I'm kind of surprised they didn't just go, oh, we're turning the one Lion King film into a trilogy when they remade it. Oh, yeah. God, they could have done that. I think they, they could have just done that, you know? I'm glad they didn't. I'm yeah. glad they didn't hobbit it for us. Yeah, dude, if we got PJ involved, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Um, but uh, I think that sums it up well. Um, I was reading uh, and watching some documentaries on the physical media that I own that represents <laughs> The Lion King um, <laughs> that I found fascinating. There's a lot to do with like the backstory of how this got made. A lot of it's really well known. Um, we'll talk a little bit later on about some of the controversy behind sure. that. Yeah. But we'll talk. I'm going to talk now about like the Disney history of it. Mm. So this began as like an idea being kicked around by like Katzenberg and like all those people involved at the time. Um, and before it became what we know it as today, their idea for it was they wanted to make something different because the stuff that had come out at this point in the Disney Renaissance period, which is like the reawakening of Disney as like this big premium Mm. uh, animated company after like a 1980s full of uh, not duds. A lot of them are interesting movies, but stuff that just didn't quite hit and wasn't true to what the brand was. There was a huge... Uh, there was like kind of like a battle between animation companies. Don Bluth, who was a Disney animator, left. He went yep. and started like the Bluth Animation Yeah, no, company. what was his one again? It was, um, uh, he, made he did the Land Before Time. Land Before Time is a big sure. one. Secret of the Nim is a big one. Uh-huh. Five All Goes West, an oh, American yeah, Tale. Yeah. I loved an American Tale. Yeah, lots, uh, lots of great movies. Mm. I love uh, Don Bluth's animation. Um, but like, so the eighties for Disney stuff, like the black cauldron, which is like mm. a really weird movie. That's an adaptation of like this fantasy novel. Yeah. I never that, seen it. Um, I like that movie a lot, but it's like not a readily available. It's kind of thought of the one that kind of killed Disney for a while. Did we have live action stuff happening in the eighties for Disney? Or yeah. Was that like touchstone. Was that kind of in the nineties? There was of kind of stuff like, um, it was when they were kind of playing with, uh, surely like. The Mighty Ducks was 89 or something. They would have been around that time, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Around that time, they were kind of experimenting with other things. Like, I just watched this one the other day that has Jonathan Price in it. And I can't remember what it's called. It's like, oh, something wicked this way comes. And it's like this, like, children's horror movie that's really great. So they're kind of doing, like, there's, like, another one called The Watcher in the Woods that I think has got Betty Davis in it. Sure. So they're kind of experimenting with, like, what could even a live-action Disney movie Was, uh, be? Was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? That was Disney. Uh, yeah, that would be late 80s, early 90s as well. Like, that, I think sure. late, end of, tail end of the 80s. Mm, yeah. Love yeah. that movie. It's a, that is a great movie. Yeah. Um, so I think this Disney Renaissance period is like best defined and starting off with the little mermaid, Mm -hmm. then little mermaid, they've got beauty and the beast gets them the first. Now uh, we're cooking. 
Now we're cooking with freaking gasoline, <laughs> dude. Not even gas. We've got petrol Petroleum. on them. Burning it all up. Um, <laughs> first animated film to ever get the Best Picture nomination at right, the Academy Awards. Right, 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 Beauty and right, right. the Beast. So it gives them like a lots of credibility. Then they've got Aladdin. This is what's next. And they're talking about um, wanting to make something different from those and going back to like the Bambi model. Bambi, of course, being like one of the great classic films of Disney's history. And now this is something... More in tone with that, they wanted to be almost like a nature documentary is what they were talking about. <laughs> I, originally, what this was talked about was like a war movie. They were planning mm. like this big war movie and it was similar to what it is now, but more serious, like quite dramatic in tone. Mm. And um, it was a war between the lions headed by Mufasa and Simba and uh, Scar was not a lion. Scar was the leader of the baboons, which was like the lions versus baboons. Right. And Rafiki, who's a baboon in this film, was a cheetah. Okay. So it was like more in that Shakespearean realm of things. Sure. And it took them a little while to kind of unlock it when they kind of were like seeing how well that their musicals were doing. They're like, we should make this a musical as well. Yeah. And that's when it all started clicking and becoming the movie that we know today, which of course everyone says it's Hamlet. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, I guess it's Hamlet, but it's also a lot of things. It's just one of those archetypal stories. It's every hero's journey. Exactly. Um, And maybe that all did start with William Shakespeare, but I personally think that William Shakespeare stole those stories too. (laughs) From who would you say? Um, Jack the Ripper. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the great urban legend that I'm trying to get on the ground. <laughs> that Jack the Ripper was the real writer. Yeah. And Shakespeare was just some freaking cop after him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to make this movie. That is a pitch. That's a pitch. That's a movie pitch. It's, a, it's a cop, criminal, drama, but the cop is William Shakespeare. Yeah, the it's... Crim- is none other than Saucy Jack. <laughs> this is kind of like uh, The Departed before theatre. Thank That's you. Going, okay? That's what we're going for. It's called Bill and Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and it is awesome. And it ends with um, someone reading Hamlet going, let's do this with freaking lions. And like, okay, that's awesome and relatable. <laughs> that's the good stuff. Excellent. I love it, man. I, I am getting excited even just hearing you talk about this because I'm... One of those guys who I've always made fun of Disney fans. Mm. I've always thought it was Obviously. funny to be like yeah. an adult who's into Disney. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, in my private life, love almost everything yeah. the Disney Corporation do. Yeah. And uh, and not just the films. I love their fucked secret histories as well. Yeah, it's and wild. I, I love I love all the controversy surrounding yeah. them. I love every urban legend about Walt Disney. Yeah. I love the fact... I got to meet Walt, by the way, when I worked there. That's awesome. How yeah. was the guy? It was awesome. He was much shorter, mainly just a head. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. he spoke. It's awesome. It's funny that he's still the head of a major corporation. Well, that's all he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that his uh, brother, Roy, who was on that mm. uh, thing that we just watched earlier, never took over the role of CEO of the, of yeah. the Disney Corporation after Walt died. He was still like, no, I will be VP. Yeah. I'll be vice president president forever and there just won't be a president yeah well we're gonna leave that room it's like fucking don't go in there but don't go in the it's room it's like Elron hubbard or yeah. something like they left disney's position open all yeah. of it is so exciting and uh i also kind of a, a lot of people find it cynical 
but I love the fact that it takes them years to shape a story. Yeah. So much so that the people who originally are working on the Lion King script or yeah. original idea, by the time this movie comes out, it is nothing like what they yeah. originally pitched. It's fascinating, right? I find it like it's very... It is kind of gross and cynical to think of a company creating a thing by committee mm. and just taking the seed of someone's idea and going, we like that part, but we hate everything else you've written. Yeah. And then, but uh, we have to give it to them. They've rarely put a foot wrong. Yeah. And this committee are making great films. And I think especially in this era where it's all about the animation. Yeah. Once again, it's all about the high quality look of the animation. That's another thing about the 80s is like, they kind of, go much cheaper and sure. faster ways to make it. Uh, this is going back to like the original ways of like really beautifully making everything look stunning and sensational. And I think everything that they do is in aid of the art mm, of, the, of the film. Yeah. Can I, can, uh, if we're going to, this is such a big movie to talk about, yeah. but if we're going to start somewhere, I think we're going to have to talk about the characters themselves mm-hmm. and why we love them yeah. and why cuz they're the they're the window that let us enter this story and yeah. i think uh this is interesting because when we talked about Aladdin we kind of talked about the fact that Robin Williams casting in that film yeah. really opened the door for celebrities to be cast uh, as voice actors yeah. and for the traditional model of using voice actors to kind of die off mm-hmm. this movie i remember because I was a kid, I remember getting a um, what was that Disney magazine? Remember that little tiny little magazine? Oh, I think it was just Disney Disney magazine. mag or something. It was, it was like a tiny little yeah, thing, like K Zone like size. Like K Zone. Oh my god, I forgot that I used to collect yeah, that. I used to, I used to have that. I yeah. loved that. And I remember seeing a, like a big feature about the Lion King just before it came out. That we was got Nathan Lane. Like filled <laughs> yeah. with, but no, here's the thing. Because yeah. That's aimed at kids. Yeah. The majority of the pictures oh, yeah. were of Jonathan Taylor Thomas. JTT. And I just remember being like blown away that, because I, I, I guess I was a Jonathan Taylor Thomas fan. Yeah. I mean, I guess I watched Home Improvement. You're, like, the, you're opening this magazine. You see his little face. You're like, oh, <laughs> Here's exactly what I did. I, I bought the Disney home magazine yep. home. I went into my bedroom. I lay down on the bed. I opened it up. I flicked to the Lion King mm-hmm. section. First picture I see, Matthew Broderick. I go, I don't know who that guy is. Yeah. Who is this guy? Yeah. Ferris Hula? <laughs> <laughs> then You're just I, like, Bueller, Bueller. Who is Bueller. this guy? Then I look, I cast my eyes over to the other side of the page. Mm-hmm. I see Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Mm-hmm. I go... <laughs> that's what I did. Yeah. It's exciting stuff. But I, that's how it was being pitched to me as a child was, yeah. hey, guess what? You're going to have JTT voicing a lion. You're going to love this shit. Yeah. So it was like, I guess that's the first time I remember being marketed to. Oh, really? Really. Wow. Like being like, you'll love this. You're a kid. He's a kid. You'll like him. You love kids, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, I got to say, it's a fucking great performance from uh, both of them. From both of them. Like, I, I really was shocked by how good the vocal performances are in this. I don't know why. I'd be shocked, but I guess I never think about them. Me neither. Because you only think about the two biggies of James Earl Jones as Mufasa sure. and uh, Jeremy Irons as Scarp. They're two, the two that you think of? For me, because I think they're like the two great... But aren't they all iconic? They all are. Like watching it this time, I'm mm. like, 
yeah, they all are amazing. Because, mm. like, Simba as a kid, it has to be one of the best child actor vocal performances of all time, it's I would say. It's gotta be, man. It it's has gotta to be. be. It's so fucking charming. And you know what? Simba's a little turd. He's yeah. the fucking... He's he's Prince, a scrapper. He's fucking Prince Harry. He's yeah. like a little shit who's like a little brat, yeah. party boy, wants to be king. Yeah. But then... Uh, to be able to be that cocky but also that vulnerable in a turn is like a sensational performance. The vulnerability of his voice acting when especially the the moments when Mufasa is dying, the tremors in his voice. I, I cried watching it again mm. this time because of the performance. Mm. I'm like, how can a kid do that? Especially after we're talking about like Zathura last week and oh, just yeah, saying like yeah. child actors have such a difficult job. This mm. is like I mean, how is JTT not the biggest star in the world? Well, it is very possible that this broke him. <laughs> like, yeah. if we really think about it, we're like, maybe he got pushed really hard yeah, at around imagine. this time in his life, making yeah. a sitcom. I don't know how many seasons he was on that sitcom for, but then doing this and then doing getting thrown into those fucking Disney yeah. live action movies. I reckon by the time he was 15, he would have been like, to hell with this industry. Yeah, This is this. a nightmare. But he's wonderful in this. The big scene that stands out for me is uh, when he, Mufasa is um, disciplining him yeah. after they run into the, yeah. um, what's it called? The like Shadowlands. The Shadowlands, the, the elephant, elephant graveyard. graveyard. You know, and that, that line reading by James L. Jones, you deliberately disobeyed me, is in my head forever. Yeah. Because it's wonderful, but also I feel I feel like I'm in trouble from my dad. It really is so good, right? Like it's so because good. it's like he's very clearly explaining what Simba did wrong. Yeah, and it's that whole thing of like I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. Yes, like, it nails it. I think this is one of the best father and son dynamics ever in a film. Yeah, and that makes me go. That's why Favs is getting involved in the remake because mm. I'm like mm. this. The whole scene of. Um, Sim of Mufasa disciplining Simba is the entire chef. Like it's sh- every conversation in Chef is that, yeah. But just cut over an entire film it's instead so of just, instead of like just put into this one little moment. Because he plays with him. He like after he has a yeah. go at him, he then like pushes him over and they play. And, and then he gives him the philosophy of yes, life exactly. Yeah. And that whole uh, circle of life is such a beautiful distillation of the world philosophy and the philosophy of life for young people mm. to understand. Because mm. I think it just so perfectly explains literally what life is. Like yep. you begin, you end, but then you still continue. Yeah, And I think it's such a great just understanding of uh, like a lens for children to see the entire world with. And it, it's a way for them to show like... Uh, to to put that philosophy in the brain of these children at the start of the movie to top end it, and then in a few scenes later you see Mufasa die. This really uh, tragic and really, it's a heavy death. Dude, like, it's harrowing. It's really it still it, is harrowing. Absolutely, the imagery of that, yeah. how shocking it is, um, how unexpected it is, how evil it is as mm. well. Like it's just pure. evil. I think that's the thing that gets me. It is the pure evil, sinister, yeah, uh, scar. And I think that giving them this really lovely philosophy on life makes that bearable for kids to watch. Yeah, totally. Bambi's another very similar shocking moment where, spoiler alert, Bambi's <laughs> mom gets shot. <laughs> she gets freaking murked, dude. <laughs> but, you know, for kids of that era, it's a shock. Yeah. And there's nothing that prepares you for it 
this prepares children for it and allows them to see death as as Captain James Hook might say, the next great adventure. Wow. But you know, not the next great adventure, but like it's the it's it's a continuing death. it's a continuing like sequence. Cycle. It's yeah. a continuing cycle it's of life. It's a circle of life if I had to put a yeah, I guess together. so. Yeah, that's kind of how I'd say it. It's really brilliant, dude. Thanks, dude. Really brilliant way of doing Thank it. Thank you so much. Do we want to talk about Broderick's performance as a grown-up yet? Because yes. I think uh, heavy... Uh, that's a fucking hard set of footsteps to walk yeah. in after we've watched... How how long is it until we see the transition? Is it like going to be like 40 45? minutes? Yeah. Right. 40, 45 minutes. So we've gotten to love this character. Absolutely. And it's crazy to then go, all right, now he's gone. Yeah. Now he's a grown up. It's like my problem with seeing the beast turn into the prince. Like yeah. I could, it could shock a whole audience. I could have an audience go, well, I don't know this voice. Yeah. I've just spent 45 minutes listening to a voice I like and watching a character design that I like. Yeah. And now I've got this. Who's this? Yeah. Um, but I got to tell you, fucking wonderful, wonderful performance. And some of his line readings are also burnt into my brain. Like what? Pretty dumb, huh? That yeah. one's in my head all the time. Yeah. I say it anytime I do something stupid. I've got that in my head. That's a good Broderick impression, Pretty by dumb, the way. Pretty dumb, huh? He's yeah. just breathy. <laughs> yeah. He is... Uh, Matthew Broderick is an actor I really, really like. Yeah, I always forget how good he is. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get into him as an actor until my teenage years when I went back and started watching all the 80s film, the like Hughes-y John Hughes films. movies, and obviously Ferris Bueller. Hey, I modeled, Ferris Bueller! I modeled my whole <laughs> life on that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little... Uh, Definitely, you are. Asshole. You're a Bueller type. <laughs> and weirdly, I'm the Cameron. <laughs> uh, but I but, think he's great. Have you ever seen this movie, Lady Hawk? No, that's one of the ones I movie, Richard seen. Donner. It's, yes. I like this movie a lot. It's Rucker Hauer, um, Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. and Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick is so good at like modernizing like the fall of like a Shakespearean uh, play for like the um, to feel contemporary and to work. I think he does a lot of that in this as well mm. to contemporize like a really Shakespearean character. Mm. I think that what he d- oh by the way, do not watch Lady Hawk. Um, <laughs> it's a good movie, but it has the worst soundtrack that like makes it unwatchable. Isn't it an iconic soundtrack? Who's it's uh... bad. It's Alan Parsons' project. Oh, <laughs> it's like right. this gross prog rock. <laughs> so bad. It's like a great movie, but absolutely unwatchable because of the soundtrack. <laughs> but I think he does something similar in this, where he like um, contemporizes like a Shakespearean tragic hero character, mm. someone who's got the weight of the world uh, on their shoulders because of they feel the entire guilt of killing their own father. Yes. Like, this is a movie for children where the plot is a young son is framed for the murder He's of his father and lives lit. with the guilt for <laughs> the guilt of it. Yes. And I think he contemporized that in such a way where, he, especially this brilliant sequence of Timon and Pumbo, like, this whole middle section is what impressed me the most because I always thought it was flat or boring or a change of tone. What? Really? I, when they well, go to the, like... Uh, it oh, slows down. Oh, you don't like that? No, I love it now. Okay. Absolutely. That was what shocked me on this rewatch was I think this whole middle section is such a brilliant uh, way of... All the characterization in the middle section is brilliant. Like, mm. to contemporize this character by making him, like, this kind of slacker guy. Um, like, this would not be out of place in, like... Uh, Kevin Smith characters or um, Days and Confused. Who's that? 
That's um, that's my my boy Rich, uh, Richard. Richard Linklater. Linklater. Or in the films of Richard Linklater, mm. because it's just like you. It humanizes these people that you're thinking about them as like this guy's a no hope or this mm. guy's got no ambition in life. But then you find out that these three characters that have no ambition in life apart from trying to be happy are all entrenched in sad, ostracized backstory. Yeah, and I think that hit me even as a kid. I remember yeah. sort of. Watching this and thinking, oh yeah, you can. Um, that's one way of coping with trauma that yeah. looks fun, but it's also never gonna be the answer. Like y- your past will come back to find you in a way, yeah. or whatever your trauma you'll have to deal with it at some point. Yeah. I remember that message really sinking in as a kid, or whatever. Yeah. Um, he does a great job. Uh, they all do a great job. Nala is incredible. Uh, incredible. Moira Kelly is the adult. Nala yeah. is like, um. I mean, we got it. I got to say that, you know, obviously, you know. obviously, she was important for you. Obviously, yeah. 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 This no. was my awakening to film. This was your awakening into manhood, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think I've talked about it a little bit in the past. That yeah. uh, obviously, Cleo the goldfish is my first. Yeah. Um, Nala second. Nala second, probably. Yeah. And Smurfette the worst, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> From the modern remakes of the Smurf movies. <laughs> that scene's going to be interesting in the. In the remake, will that be mm. sexy? God, will she have those eyes? No. Probably not. She'll have those lifeless slime <laughs> eyes. That's what I'm a bit worried about. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a personal question. Yep. Who's your favourite character in this movie? God, that's really hard on this rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it has to be Scar. Yeah. Because I think that... After, uh, maybe in line with Jafar, I think the great Disney villain. Sure. And I think what I found fascinating this time that I didn't really have too many memories of, but the interplay between Scar and the young Simba, mm. some incredible writing, like that's really incredible dialogue and the to be dialogue, performed, it, the absolute dialogue. It wouldn't be out of place in a Kevin Smith film. <laughs> um, I cannot but, believe you've referenced <laughs> Kevin Smith twice. Yeah. Well, the Kevin Smith was a joke. This time previously <laughs> was not a joke. Um, but uh, the, it, the dialogue of that character and the characterization of the character in relation to the young Simba, mm. I did not remember it being in such a way... It's brilliant. I don't think there's anything like it where he wants him dead, but he's still a mentor to him. And like kind of corrupting him and showing him this like kind of playful darkness of it. And he kind of hates him, but I think he kind of likes that Simba looks up to him so much. Well, it's like, it's kind of the same way I feel about um, watching Jafar recently. Is that in my head, these characters are pure evil villains. And on a rewatch, they're they're kind of comedy characters too. Yeah. Like they're Jeremy fun. Jeremy Irons is so funny. Jeremy in this Irons movie. is heaps funny in this, and and like it's incredibly camp, and it, yeah. that's been talked about a lot. Yeah, I don't really want to cover that again, but I think it is one of the more fun characters to watch, especially yeah. as a villain. It makes you uh, want to role play as a villain a yeah. lot. Like if you were an actor watching this, you know, you'd be like, oh God, I would love the opportunity to play such a theatrical, yeah. over-the-top bad guy. But I, I think really like it's that whole interaction with those two characters is brilliant because it just shows the m- absolute mode of this character is their desperation. Yeah. And what other Disney villains are as desperate as this? Like he's oh, such yeah. a fucking loser, Scar. Yeah. But he does not 
think of himself as a loser at all. He does not allow anyone else to think of him as a loser. Yeah. But he's just like, you know, basically the runt of the litter that Mufasa kept around because he felt sorry for him Mm. or liked him. Mm. And because of that, he's got this chip on his shoulder, this scar on his face, and he's desperate to become the top dog. Yeah. Top cat. Oh, sorry. Top. Allow me to edit that back in Top Cat <laughs> I reckon I, I mean I, I'll tell you My favourite character Scar's mm-hmm. definitely up there But um, I love All three Of the uh, Hyenas Of course Played so by much. The iconic comedy duo Of Cheech And Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Jim Cummings as Ed, who yeah. also sang some of Scar's songs. Yeah, there were just a few notes that I don't think Irons could hit. Irons couldn't hit him. That's so funny to me. So they're like, let's get the guy who just grunts all movie yeah. to like hit the most intense notes. Yeah, I love Cheech Marin so much in this. And I love Whoopi in this as well. They're incredible. But before we really, I guess... God, this it's so hard because I'm looking through the cast list now and I yeah. I fucking Fuck, forgot this is we, got, gonna be... we got Rowan Atkinson in this fucking movie, yeah. man. It's like it is an and all-star that's a, cast. That's an incredible performance. And this is a guy most known for playing a silent comedy character. Who would have thought to bring life <laughs> to this bird to get this guy that don't talk? And uh obviously Timon and Pumba, yep. Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella. Nathan Lane I mean, this like we we've already talked about this. This is this is this is one of the best. Uh, this is one of the best voice performances. It is so good of all time. It's crazy to me that Nathan Lane is not in more Disney movies. Yeah, because the guy is purpose built to be in musical he theater. He's a stuff. cartoon. Yes, already his voice is incredible. The guy is as good an improviser as Robin Williams. Do you know yeah. Ernie Sabella and Nathan Lane, how they got involved? No. They were both auditioning for stuff. This is before Timon and Pumbaa were even being cast at all. Nathan Lane was coming in to audition for Zazu. Great. That, that would have been great. Already, I'm like, yeah, great. Oh, uh, cast give me that him. movie. Yeah. Cast him in it. Yeah. And then Ernie Sabella's uh, auditioning for the Hyenas. They're friends. They're like, oh, let, can we audition for the Hyenas together? Yeah. Is what they're just like, oh, we want to come riff. Yeah, they just nice. were excited about Let riffing. Us riff in the room, and they come in. They're absolutely killing riffing as the hyenas, <laughs> and they just go, "Fuck, we found Timon and Pumbaa." It's these two guys. Had they written the characters, Timon and Pumbaa? I just... think the characters existed, but they weren't even thinking about them yet. Oh my god! And they're it's like, like C three PO and R two. Like it's like are. an iconic duo. You know, name a more iconic duo. I'll wait. Okay, time is ticking a million years in the future and no one has said anything because you cannot do it. (laughs) That is the end of the meme, the death of the meme, if you will. Um, But that's what I really liked a lot this time is the perform like that whole characterization I thought was brilliant as well because I always thought that this was slow uh, and I, the middle section where we meet Timon and Pumbaa, Hakuna Matata is not a song that I loved before. Hmm. Um, watching it this time... What a wonderful phrase! I was transfixed by it and I thought that <laughs> what they did so beautifully and so effortlessly is that they were able to, with like literally two scenes, maybe 15, 20 minutes of like film time is create a really believable, strong relationship between Simba and Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah. Where you believe them as like these kind of stepfathers to this uh, kid or like, you know, older teenage mentors to this younger team. Mm. And um, I believed it so much this time. Like what, like 
how they did that in just one song. Like they mm. have like this great, uh, this great meeting when they finally meet Simba. It is so cute. It's so well done. It builds a relationship up like straight away that these are caring, nice people. And then the song, the way they're like, you know, we've got the little montage where then we've got... He gets uh, that ridiculous haircut for a moment. The, the, I love that hair. I love that. <laughs> I think I had a toy of him at that stage. With that stupid hair? With that little mohawk thing. No, thank you. And then um, and then we've got the bursting out where we've got the full adult Simba. It, it means, means no, no worries. worries. It, yep. That montage just go, these are real friends. Like, mm. I, I was shocked by how, mm. how it established it in like, what four minutes that these are like lifelong great friends that makes the entire rest of the movie work like magic yeah it's pretty incredible not many things can pull it off i believe that the fact that it is animated Mm -hmm. helps yeah (laughs) because we get to see like repetition over like different eras of their lives and stuff like that even though largely it just happens with them shaking their heads on a log and yeah Stuff, Eating grubs and shit. Yeah, but it's like it works. It fucking it's wonderful. I also love watching him become watching uh, Simba become someone who is an incredibly sad, tra- recently traumatized kid. Mm. Um, just go straight into like, yeah, like you said, a stoner essentially. Yeah, he just like chills out and he lays in the grass and stuff. I yeah. love it. I love their whole dynamic. Same. I re- I absolutely think it's magic. And now. I reckon there was a period in time. Not long after this movie, where I thought Nathan Lane may be the funniest person on the planet, and mm. I, I don't even know, like, based off what this mouse hunt, mouse hunt, that's it. Bird like, cage. I had not seen the bird cage yeah. until like gold recently. Member? Yeah, Isn't probably that one gold scene member. Probably gold that member? one scene in gold <laughs> where he lip syncs Beyonce's dialogue. I got to be honest, that might be it. Yeah, that, that might, might be. <laughs> that might be the reason. <laughs> that I'm... might be it. Where he's like, "This is one of the most amazing performances in a film." I love him in Mouse Hunt, though. Yeah. I rewatched Mouse Hunt recently. It is so fucking good. I've got to watch it again. I don't think I've seen it for years. It's just, uh, it's absurd. It's Home Alone mm. with a a wonderfully rendered CGI mouse that still looks really? great. Yes, because in my mind, that's a real mouse. I mean, I'm sure parts of it are a trained mouse. Yeah. Um, it's really great. It's He's so funny in it. Yeah. It's like a Mr. Bean level performance. So much of it is physical comedy. Wow. Also, I've told you this before, but I just think it's uh, one of my favorite things. <laughs> one of my favorite Nathan Lane <laughs> yeah. stories ever is that uh, I, I remember reading on Wikipedia that he'd, he'd never confirmed or denied his sexuality. Yeah. I guess he just doesn't want to talk about it. Fair enough. But then I, somewhere on Wikipedia, it was like in a in an interview in the early 2000s, someone asked him whether he was straight or gay and he didn't confirm or deny, <laughs> but he did say, I'm a single man in my 40s who works in musical theatre. You do the math. <laughs> you do the math is one of the greatest jokes. Yeah. It is the extension of Carry the Two it Humor. Really it is, is, it really is. Because it's like Carry the Two Humor, it's you doing the math. Yeah. How do you flip that? You get them you to them do, do the, the math. math dude. You do the math humor is the next big thing, I it's, reckon. It's coming back. I in reckon a big we way. brought carry the two humor in a huge way. It's still I still pull it out, I get big laughs yeah. all the time. But you do the math humor, oh, I reckon God. that's the next thing. Do you think this will work? I think we can make it work. Hang on a second. If you take some carry the two humor, we flip it around. Oh, we don't have time for this, you do the math. Um, <laughs> Uh, but maybe we could talk about this as an animated film for a while because I think that it is obviously fucking gorgeous and mm, stunning. Mm. Um, uh, just like 
obviously it's just beautiful imagery, beautiful colors. Mm-hmm. It is so vibrant. Mm-hmm. The colors are absolutely so vibrant. And then when we cross to uh, the elephant graveyard, the world oh. of the hyenas, how how muted and musty those uh, all the vibrancy of the uh, colors of the pride lands are wiped out by these grays and dark colors. Then we go deeper. It's all that like kind of bile green neon. I'm obsessed with that uh, bizarre cave that they all live in. That, that... Scar hangs out with and yeah. sings Be Prepared in. Um, I I forgot what it looked like until mm. this rewatch. And it's like a, it's a whole other world to the rest of the movie. Absolutely. It's not even, I can't even picture seeing these side by side on a mood board. Yeah. Like if someone, when they were putting the storyboards together for this movie, if someone was like, and then we've got, like we've got this realistic looking Serengeti. Yeah. And then we've also got this basically hell. Yeah. With all sharp, jagged edges, but this green hell. these weird mini volcanoes that shoot out green smoke, yeah. I guess. I'd be like, that's a that's the Black Cauldron, dude. Yeah. Just, they're totally different. That's <laughs> a different gone to the Black Cauldron. It is, <laughs> it is bizarre. Um, and I what think are those things, by the way? Geysers? That, I don't know. <laughs> it's, I've never really figured out what they are. Yeah. I don't know. It's, just, it's awesome. It's some... I think it's the secret of the ooze. It's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff. Or perhaps it's Flubber. I think it might be flubbery stuff. It's where flubber comes from. Um, I mean, everything comes from Africa. If this is a musical as well, I think the tone of this is insane. Like, Mm. I don't know how they pulled this off, especially for children, because it is like this really high dramatic story. It's like this absolute operatic, regal, epic story. And it captures that tone perfectly. Yet it is funny throughout. Like, yeah. most lines of dialogue in this movie are funny. They have jokes in them. Um, it's just mainly Mufasa, who's, like, the main serious Dude, star. this is the Disney tone. And they were figuring it out during this era. Mm. I would say Aladdin and this are kind of, like, yeah. blueprints that led the way to what the Disney style is now. If you look yeah. at all of the Marvel property, I mean, I know that was purchased later, but, yeah. like... It's it's set it paved the way for the blockbuster for the family movie mm. for the modern hit in that it could be incredibly dramatic one second incredibly funny the next and never, never exclusively one of those things and I think with this one it's maybe the it, this one is the blueprint it's one that we're like this is it they hit it yeah because the next few that they do um, you look at like a Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh. Is such a strange movie because that is just as dark, if not darker than The Lion King because it's real humans. Like yeah. that, that Frollo character, the villain of that, oh, absolutely yeah. terrifying. Also absolutely stunning. It's got this huge operatic tone throughout the whole thing. But then like the comedic relief in that film, it's like Jason Alexander oh, yeah, as like a gargoyle. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Whereas Timon and Pumbaa are so well integrated into this movie mm. because they are given so much serious heavy lifting to do emotionally as well by being like the emotional backbone for Simba, like for mm, the people that he's true. allowed to rely on for the rest of his life now. That's true. And it's I, I think that's like, it's brilliant storytelling. I don't know how they do it because it's like such a hard tone to hit. And yeah. then the music is sensational. It's so... So evocative of everything. Like Tim Rice, Elton John collaborating. Mm. Um, Tim Rice, of course, did the previous Disney musicals. Uh, 
Elton John, you probably know from Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Great stuff. Rocket, Rocket Man. Man. All that sort of shit, dude. <laughs> yeah, probably. Tiny so. Dancer. Tiny Dancer. Yeah, you dude. know him from making that song from Rocky Five at the end credits. Hey, by the way, have you ever heard anyone sing Hold Me Closer, Tony Danzer? Uh, that is really funny because Tony Danza is an actor that you wouldn't associate with um, emotional moments like that. <laughs> so I guess that's why it would be funny if someone were to say that. Yeah, it is really funny. And if I heard it a thousand times, probably still laughing. I reckon it's the funniest <laughs> shit I've ever heard. I'm, I've never said it, but I think it would be funny. Yeah, me too. I've never heard it, but I just reckon but you said it. it would be so funny. Yeah, I think someone should say it one day. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think someone out there listening to this this might give you a good idea for something yeah, to do. Yeah, like next time that song comes on, try it out. Give it a shot. And then you got Hans Zimmer. Um Oh, did he do score? Hans Zimmer did the score. So mm. Elton John and Tim Rice made all these demos sending them to Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is like, should I just leave the songs as they are? Or should I make them my own thing? He's like, well, it's my. I, I have to be true to myself. I have to make it my own thing. So he orchestrates everything. Yep. And then he brings in a friend of his who is an uh, African singer mm-hmm. called Lebo M, who, um, who had done Cry Freedom and stuff. I think that might have been with Hans Zimmer as well. Mm-hmm. So he brought him in. And he brought in like the Zulu language. He is the one singing at the start. Yeah. So it's a collaboration. I mean, like all the songs, Tim Rice and uh, Elton John like wrote them and lyricized yep. them all. But these are the two people that like made the music that we know today as yep. the Lion King. That's him. In the first part of the movie that makes it iconic. That mm. first thing mm. is his voice singing. That's true. And like that's, I think that's the moment that this movie becomes a classic. Is like that. Yeah. It's like distilled the personality of this film in one moment. You've I got mean, the a lot of people said rising. that that opening six minutes is like, or it already won every yeah. award from that opening six minutes. And that opening six minutes of like the circle of life music mm. with Leba M singing uh, the Zulu parts of the of that. Um, that was the first, like, that was mainly the trailer of the film. Like, that mm. would play in cinemas before other movies up until, like, that moment where they hear that dong and the Lion King yeah. logo comes up. Yeah, dude. Which, like, that's the best, yeah. like, some of the best six minutes of any film ever. Yeah, man. Like, ah, uh, I'm, I'm so... I'm excited just thinking about it right now. I'm so in love with this again. And I think then the way that they, uh, in a word, filmed this mm. uh, as a musical... It's it's something else because we were talking about Aladdin a few weeks ago and we're like, that's the first Broadway musical. Yeah. Before that, it's more classical musicals like Beauty and the Beast and uh, The Little Mermaid. Very classical. Uh, Aladdin's modern Broadway. This is something else as well. This is like uh, taking African influence and Swahili language True. and Zulu language and bringing it into make this kind of unique personality. And I think it really genuinely honors the African heritage that mm. its music is part of. But then it does something else visually. It's like Busby Berkeley, like those 1930s yeah. gold diggers <laughs> of 1933 where this is not a stage musical. I think all the in-between bits, in-between the songs... It's theatrical in that it's shot wide. Uh I always have to say quotations when we're animated films. Everything's in the wide, 
Um, it feels like it could be a play. It's mm-hmm. just people interacting or animals interacting. But then when the music hits, especially if you think about I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Yeah, that's you hear the that, big one that, that you think about. big button smash and the background changes to like this Merm, kind of... dude. The Merm, the Merm is perfect in this. The musically mm. enhanced reality mode yeah, it really man. hits. But then when it like you smash the button, you go to I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Every shot is elaborate and glamorous. You've got choreography from all these animals mm. and like these really surreal and elaborate uh, creations of like how these animals can interact with each other, making these creatures that can't dance dance. Yeah. And the way that they do that stunning, like they studied how lions move, but all the moving character as well. But it's like that Busby Berkeley was the choreographer um, and the person who would design musicals for the MGM classic era 1930s. And it was like his responsibility uh, that he put upon himself to go, um, now we're in an age of sound. How can we make musicals work by making them cinematic and not theatrical? Mm. And um, he was like, all right, every shot is something crazy, basically. Mm -hmm. And like be beautiful choreographed and there'd be lots of different camera movements and lots of shots um, and uh, lots of montage of shots as well. And that's kind of like how we knew musicals to be until we get to Fred Astaire and um, uh, Ginger Rogers, where it's like that one beautiful sustained shot. And mm. who's singing in the rain? G- uh, Gene, Gene Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. And Gene Which, Kelly. Which, by the way, I watched for the first time recently. Yeah. And it's like a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. And I can't believe I've avoided it for this long. I know. The fir- I probably saw it like three years ago, and I just turned to my friend and we went to go see the Orpheum together. Yeah. Yeah, top ten best movies ever Has made. Has to be. Easy. And I Funny. always heard people say that, and I was like, I was like yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, same boring yeah, idea. Yeah, whatever, dude. Okay, care. yeah, you're a fucking 90-odd yeah, blue hair bitch. Whatever, okay, yeah. But then I watched it, and I went, holy shit, <laughs> this is real. It's so funny. Yeah, it's funny. And so those like the kind of two modes of musicals, and this is definitely in that Busby Berkeley highly stylized, like surrealist. The other thing that I noticed was the scene changes are like theater. Hmm. Like it uses lighting to change scenes where say, for example, you have like a close up of Simba and then the lighting would change around him, but then it's still the same like shot of oh, him yeah, and then the background would change like that's that would true. happen to almost every scene transition would be like that that's right and i was like this feels like a, like they made this like a musical in every sense of it yeah where it's like it just i i don't know was shocked by this film do you want to talk about the controversy yeah i think we should talk about the controversy um there has been accusations yeah. unfolded against this movie. Um, Disney sold this as their first original work. Mm. All of their other films are based on fairy tales, books, yada, yada, yadas. And now... Oh, what's that mean? <laughs> it means charming. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so this is like the first one where like it's an original story. It's yep. inspired by Shakespeare. It's inspired by... The Bible. The Bible. It's inspired by The Godfather, probably. The oh. daddy of all movies. God, I love The Godfather. Yeah, it's wonderful. Can't wait till they remake it so we can talk about <laughs> it on this podcast. Uh, talk about, like, you know, how it's that. But it has been accused of being a ripoff. And these are will. things that uh, people have been saying for a long time. I think my first introduction to that joke, probably the same as your, or that, <laughs> sorry, that accusation. It's a joke to me. Is <laughs> the joke from The Simpsons. Yeah. That's the first time I'd 
even became aware of that people were saying anything bad about mm. the Lion King. So set up this Simpsons joke. Oh, it's who dies again? Bleeding um, gums. Bleeding gums. Murphy dies, and Lisa sees him in the sky in the cloud, Mufasa style. Yeah, and then Mufasa's head pops up as well, and says, um, "Avenge my death, Kimba." Ooh, I mean Simba. Yeah, and I was like, I never got I that. I don't joke. get that. Um, I guess in my head, I was like, oh, he doesn't remember his own son's name. That's funny. <laughs> it's actually really That's mean, but really I guess in the context mean. of Simpsons, it's funny. Simpsons is uh, <laughs> really funny stuff. I love the Cinnamons. It's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah, I love Cinnamons. I love Cinnamons movie. So, so good. good. Love that dome. I love Doma. I loved um, oh Doma and the and the dome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. He got little Boston, and he's so funny. Leader, leader, so funny man. <laughs> I mean, Barson's so rude, and Leader so smart. It's awesome. I love man, and it's like they're all there, and they all love oh, each other. They're, lo- they're so nice to each other and stuff like that. It's so good, dude. It's so many fucking funny. So oh many funny. God, so many funny, man. Hands down, so uh, many funny. Man. Is, yeah. I love cinnamon. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, the accusations are, of course, and many of you probably already know this, but if mm-hmm. you don't, I recommend going for a deep dive because it's so much fun. There is um, a great video essay oh, on yeah. this by Ali Cat, Ali Cat. Um, which was about a year ago. That's like it, it kind of blew up this story once again. But Kimba the White Lion yeah. uh, was a Japanese property. Uh, aka Kimba the Jungle Emperor. It is a manga. It's also an anime by Osamu Tezuka, who is the creator of Astro Boy. Sure. And this isn't just some obscure property. This is. This was a hit in Japan. Huge a, hit. Not only was it a manga, it was also a series. It went for like, uh, like uh, ran for a long time. Ran right? for a long From time. The 60s through to the 80s. Yeah. And huge, huge hit. Like this character, Kimba the White Lion, is is an icon in Japan. Yeah. And it's second only to Astro Boy, his other character, really, sure. is what, the way it was explained to well, through our research is what we were discovering it to be. Um, but at the time, it was uh, like in this video essay, it's very con- it's very convincing because it shows so many parallel images. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I think it was kind of a rarity in the West. I would yeah. say you had to seek it out if you yeah. were um, someone who lived in America at that time. So a lot of a lot of the imagery that's in this this series, the animated series, and the comics, people say was lifted directly by the Disney Corporation for this film. And when you look at this video essay by Alley Cat, and they side by side them, I mean, yeah, yeah, like a lot of it. It is it is shocking Pride to Rock. see it that way. Pride, Pride Rock, Rock is in both of them. Uh, there's so much imagery of like a lion hanging from a cliff and another creature looking down upon them. Mm-hmm. They're characters that look the same. Yeah. There's also like early images, like first kind of conceptual images of Simba and the Lion King. It's more of that jungle thing. Like it's originally was called King of the Jungle. Yeah. And um, lions don't really live in the jungle, so they changed it, mm. making it more an accurate representation of them. Mm. And and you see Simba is a little white lion. Yeah. Uh, their name's also the same, Kimba and Simba. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the biggest one. In fact, so much so that I think, uh, and I've seen stuff like this online, early scripts of The Lion King, occasionally they've 
they've referred to him as Kimba in the big print. I think. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like, haven't seen by that by accident. And then also, there's that Roy Disney quote where he actually yeah. calls him Kimba in like memos and stuff. Yeah. There's also a thing of um, uh, Ferris Bueller himself being interviewed and yeah. saying that or saying his friends, "Yeah, I'm going to be playing Kimba," you know, from that show when I was a kid. Yeah. So clearly, the people who worked there were aware of it. But the party line at Disney is that they had no idea that Kimber the White Lion existed yeah. until after The Lion King came out and people started drawing comparisons. Yeah. Which seems absurd. These are people that work for the biggest animation company in the world. These are animation They're nerds. They're animation nerds. They've clearly They're heard freaking of Kim- nerds. They're freaking nudes. They know everything. Like you said, clearly... They've heard of Kimber. They've heard of Kimber the White Lion. It's definitely. not a freaking Kimber surprise, okay? They know about this shit. <laughs> I reckon that's the headline of this. There we go. Thank I mean, you for I... surprise. Oh, my God. Los Angeles Times, 1994, the date July 13th. A Kimba surprise for Disney's movies. The Lion King is a hit, but reported similarities to the Japanese-created American cartoon of the 1960s are raising some questions. The main sequence that they say uh, could not be parallel thinking or parallel imagery mm. is um, when Kimba's father is killed by like a hunter, not by a swarm of mm. um, a stampede of whatever wildebeest that they are. Um, it is Kimba is taken by like another human character and he looks up at the clouds and is like, look, that looks like your father. And yeah, it's like, and it's a cloud in the shape of a line. And that is, I mean, that... That's pretty... That's evidence to me. Yeah. Oh, but also, so much of it is evidence to it's me. It's not for us to go like, this was a rip-off. I'm 100% going to say it. And okay. I'm a big Disney fan. Yeah. But I'm going to go on the record and say... They would have known. They ripped it off. They would have known. Or there's... at the very least, it's like, it's like in the same way that musicians have yeah. been accused of ripping off other musicians. I reckon they would not have seen it as thievery. They yep. would have seen it as homage. They would have been like, inspired oh, this by... is, that was such a beautiful moment in Kimba. Let's do that. Yep. That was so cool. And then it's only, you know. Legalities now, get involved. Yeah, you can't now you'd say look that. back at it and go, you probably can't do that. Um, but I think at the time, I would say that the uh, art directors for this film and the, and the actual directors would have been more thinking along the lines of, we loved Kimba. Mm. It looked so cool. We want to do that. We yep. want to do what they did. But I think um, this is where it gets a bit murky for me or a bit grotty is that there was a Kim of the White Lion feature film being produced. At around the same time. Around the same time in Posthumously, Japan. the creator of this character had just passed away. So they're making yeah, a... It looks great. It, ha- it hasn't, to my knowledge, been released over here. In but the West. Um, But uh, for these reasons, mm-hmm. Disney have kind of put a blockade on it and yeah. stopped it from being released in the West. Like um, at Fantastic Fest or Fantasia Fest, they were trying to screen it in mm. 97, I think, when it was being released. Mm. And Disney put a stop to that screening happening. And yeah. now it's like, there's probably ways to watch it now. It's probably easier sure. to, but it's also not easy to watch it. It's just, um, that kind of stuff is really gross, but it's also part of the reason why I'm fascinated by the company because they're the biggest company in the world. They're yeah. also built on being a company for families and for children, yeah. purity, imagination, um, artistic, dreams, creativity. artistic creativity, but they're also, underneath all of that, 
a team that really is just a a company that buys property all over the yeah. world and has the biggest uh, legal team in the world and sh- and shuts things down. I think they're even kind of evil. Yeah, and they're I, conglomerate, and that's why I'm fascinated by them because they're both. It's the duality of them all. Yes. Highly litigious. Um, like you hear so many stories of like daycare centers having to repaint their walls because they've got pictures of Mickey on them. Mm. But I guess they have to protect their IP. Yeah. And they're the reasons that IP laws exist is because of Disney. Mm. We know that because Mickey Mouse, uh, his number was about to come up of like he's now public domain because he's such an old character. They fought to change those laws. Yeah. And it's... For better or for worse, I don't know how much it protects individual artists more than it protects giant companies. Um, but it's fucked up. Like this small animation company, that are like the rights holders of Kimba, they're like, we're so small, we can't sue them. They have yeah. the best lawyers in the entire world. Yeah. So that kind of stuff is very fucked up. But it adds to the intrigue of Disney for me, mm. whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it is just like, it is them... Uh, creating this film and then selling it on it being their first original film. I know, that's where it gets sus. But that's also like, we can't ever point the finger at one person because yeah. there's this is such a big company that there's marketing teams saying, yeah. well, technically it is an original concept. Yeah. We have not bought the rights to anything. Yeah. So that it, this means this is our idea. We're going to sell it as such. And it's not like the uh, like the classic Disney princess movies where it's like, yeah, we're working on a fucking public domain property yeah. where it doesn't yeah. matter what we do with it. Oh, it's really fascinating stuff. Um, watch that. Uh, watch that. What's, what would you call it? A video essay. Yeah, video essay. Yeah, I we'll think it's ch- called The Original Story, Kimba vs. Simba. We'll chuck Ella it up. Cap. It'll be yeah. in the show notes for this episode for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's so really Chuck it on after this. It's really well done, very convincing. It looks great. It's only about 10 minutes too. Lots of bloody smarmy, smart-ass music in there as well, <laughs> accentuate everything. It's, I think it's very, very good. Yeah. Um, I think the reason... Like, this movie became such an instant classic. Mm. And I think one of the reasons is because it actually is not like any of the other Disney movies that they've made before like Mm. we're saying Bambi is probably the closest then maybe the Jungle Book but even the Jungle Book has more anthropomorphization happening sure like Timon is probably the closest to an like a human-esque character in his movements Rafiki as well but Rafiki is a monkey so they are like cousins to us if you will oh yeah shout out to Primates podcast we love Primates yeah Um, but it's so different because it's also I think it became a massive hit straight away because it's different to everything Disney did but it is such a four quadrant hit because all the drama works it's got these great themes in it that can be quite adult any kid would be lucky to go see this it's got the great music but also it's not restricted by anything either because it's not a boys movie it's not a girls movie like you princess films they like they have a target audience more or more relationship with um young girls like mm. that's it shows it's it, they're not purpose built for them but it's it's they have ownership over that but then like it's not like black cauldron we're like why would a girl go see this movie True. or something I like would that. say this is more male than female though I would say it is more, but this is one where it's like, this is a total crossover. It's a family movie. That Disney has not really 
gone all in on. Like Basil the Great Mouse Detective is like before <laughs> this, before they the Renaissance really mm, kicks into gear, mm. and it's like. You know, who's that for? Yeah, Me. True. I liked it, but that's it. <laughs> but then, like, you know, we've got Ariel. We've got um, Beauty and the Beast. I think they're more female-driven yeah, films yeah. for more f- female audience. Aladdin, down the middle. And yeah. this, like, this is w- way right out the there. Yeah. This is something else. And I, don't, I think, arguably, they never really did anything quite like it again. Can't think. I can't think of anything. Even immediately following it, what have we got? Mulan, Pocahontas. That little era, Pocahontas. The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, Tarzan. Sure. Um, to be honest, Hercules. this is where, around the time where I started growing out of these movies. Really? Yeah. So I think... Um, I was probably up there till Tarzan. I I did, I've them. still never seen Tarzan. Yeah. Not interested. <laughs> Fuck off, Phil Collins. Yeah. Um... Mulan, I only just saw for the first time recently. Great. Hunchback, I think I remember liking. And I rewatched Hunchback not too long ago, and it's good, but it's fucked up. It's like really, really dark. Yeah, well, yeah. It's really, really dark. It looks beautiful, though. Might yeah. be the best looking one. And what's um? Oh, Hercules, I remember liking. Love Hercules. I love the design in that. First and, time I uh, saw myself on screen, Hercules. <laughs> Hercules, the Hercules. Daddy DeVito character. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aries is that who? Like? No, no, that's the other Phil. Guy. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved um I loved the Emperor's New Groove as well. Oh, Emperor's New Groove is awesome. I think that's yeah. one of these guys as well, Roger Allen. Oh, I really? Think. Yeah. David Spade, dude. He's awesome in it. Oh, you would you this is well known. I'm surprised we didn't cover this earlier um when we were kicking it off. But you would this is something you would relate to, mm. um, specifically in your life, <laughs> um, is that there there were two films being made at the same time at Disney, Lion King. Got the B team. Sure. The A team went on to Pocahontas because like this is our next great classic film. Yeah. And they're like everyone all the effort went into that. But then it's like all the weirdos that were interested in like, oh, I like Jungle Book. I want to draw like a with a way a lion can yeah. dance and stuff. Yeah. So like the B team and then this one becomes like the greatest hit they've ever had. Yeah. You can I, relate to that. <laughs> I can relate exactly to that. That's uh, very similar to my Walking with Dinosaurs slash Lego movie experience. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, Walking with Dinosaurs was their attempt at just making like a nature film with yeah. rendered characters. Yeah. Um, like this. And no one saw it because yeah. who wants to see that? <laughs> People would rather watch a story, yeah. believe it or not. It's weird that you don't like animation, but in your former life, you worked in animation. <laughs> I worked for an animation house that I think is now ILM. Yeah, that's in the news. Yeah, that's, that's crazy, right? Like when I saw the news um, that ILM were moving into Fox Studios, yeah. everyone in the press shot are my your bosses mates. from wow. uh, Animal Logic. So Fuck. crazy. You could have met Lucas, dude. I could have worked for George Lucas if I stayed in the post-production game. Before we wrap up, let's look ahead. Mm. It's out right now in cinemas. Uh, we're going to be talking about it next week. John Favreau's remake of The Lion King. Yeah, yeah. I am interested in this movie mm. uh, because we've been talking about Fav so much. I think that Favreau is he's might be one of the best people to make this movie. Yeah, I'm interested in his take on it. Well, he's got the he's got the experience with the technology. Yeah. He's also someone who has a lot of heart, as yeah. we know. And he's a hit maker for Disney. It's that heart that is what makes me hopeful or interested in it because I yep. think John Favreau is not capable of cynicism. And I think that watching Aladdin so recently, that is a movie without a perspective. Mm. That's just a fucking 
by the numbers. It's got weird stuff in it, but I don't think it's got a voice or a take. No. Where we know, he's been talking about what his take is. He's sure. like, I want to make a nature documentary. I want this to be like BBC's world life kind of movies. Mm. I want it to feel like that. Um, and uh, Whether that's the correct way to view this or not, we will find out. But it's I, interesting. It is interesting. We have to say it's interesting. We have it's to, interesting. On technicality, it is interesting. It's a take. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, it's in. a take. Um, and then it's the evolution of this where it's like, uh, it's got um, this great, once again, A-class cast. Yeah. And maybe the biggest, uh, definitely the biggest voice cast I can ever think of, but maybe one of the biggest this, casts. Yeah, definitely. Maybe that and Into the Spider-Verse are like the two oh, where it's yeah. like this huge cast. Yeah. Um, I think as well, he's talking about how this is, um, I mean, people keep calling it the live action Lion King. Yeah. Which it isn't. It is not. Not a single frame of this is shot on a camera. I think this is a CG rendered universe. I think one thing we'll be talking about next week from absolute tip to tain, it's all fake. (laughs) And I think one thing we'll be talking about again next week, walking with dinosaurs, walking with beasts, like the TV series, Mm, mm. that's something similar to this where it's like photorealistic CG animation. Mm. Uh, There was this Disney movie called Dinosaur. Yeah. It would be in my era, not yours. It would just be your... You would have been cut off from it. I wouldn't have been allowed to enter it. I wasn't allowed to see it. (laughs) But it was like a photorealistic dinosaur movie, but Mm. like it still had some crazy looking designs and stuff. Yeah. But it was pretty... Essentially photorealistic CGI animated film for its time. I'm actually really looking forward to talking about that next week Mm. because I I do have so much experience in that exact thing. Yeah. And uh, I was present for a lot of meetings where... Photorealism versus anthropomorphization was yeah. discussed for hours. I'm almost shocked that this isn't genuine live action. Because, like, the what Lion King. Okay, <laughs> and what I'm going for is the Lion King was the biggest hit Disney ever had. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's maybe the most successful franchise Disney's ever had as well. Because you've got the great film, mm-hmm. then you've got two sequels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, straight to DVD, but the highest quality of their straight to video yeah. films. Yeah. But before all of that, they have the one of the best Broadway musicals sure. of all time is the adaptation of The Lion King uh, by Julie Taymor. 1997, be- Tony Ward, best musical, Tony Ward, best director, and some actor and actress awards too. And the way that that movie reconciles it being animals singing and dancing and it being an adaptation of an animated film to becoming something that's not just live action, it's theatre. You're mm. in the room with it. Mm. You've seen it as well, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sensational the way yeah. that they do it. I think it's one of the most breathtakingly directed pieces of theatre ever created. Julie Tamor, first female to win the Tony Award for Best Director for that. Mm. And it's all on display in creating... Um, the artistry of it all mm. that in that true Disney fashion where say for example Timon it's a puppeteered character but it's also all in the performance of the actor playing yeah. it you're seeing both at the same time you may be focusing on the puppet because that's where your eyes are led to mm. but then you're also there to appreciate the actual performance that of the vocal character mm. and the puppeteer itself playing that character you can appreciate two forms at once yeah and then like all the stuff of Simba and Scar and like the artistry behind all of that um, and Mufasa has he's got this giant circular head like it's all that circle of life stuff throughout the whole thing the imagery and translating all that is wonderful 
But it's also in that way where it's like they've got those headdresses on where you have the face of the character, but then you're yeah. focusing on the face of yeah. the performer. And I know that Favreau is going to said that he's taking inspiration from the Broadway musical as well. And it kind of shocks me that like The Lion King already has been made as a live action piece yeah. that is arguably as successful as the animated film. Yes, we. I mean, to call this a live action movie is a fallacy. It's yeah. a, another animated film. It's an animated film, and I just kind of shocks it's me. An it's an animated like, remake. It's almost weird right? to me that they didn't just go. It's absolutely it's animation. It's, an animated it's not live action remake. It's animated. <laughs> I don't know if they have It's just a way cameras. to sell it. That's the yeah. only way they can sell it is to go, this is a, a live action version. But at the end of the day, it's not. I so, would have loved to have seen something more experimental like I filming that's, that. That's broader. Never no way. The kids would not watch no. this crazy. No. Like if they go out into the Serengeti <laughs> and put like build the sets of like what yeah. they made for the musical. Oh, it's absurd. That, <laughs> would never isn't it weird to think that the Lion King is the simultaneously the least adapt, at least adapted to a live mm, action format, mm. but also the most successful yeah. live action yeah. remake of a Disney property? That's very, that's very interesting. Thank and I would you say so it it changed Broadway absolutely in the way that you're saying, like Aladdin, the animated version um, was like a modern version of the of of Broadway a, film. Broadway I musical. would say that this one changed Broadway forever. Yeah. You wouldn't have Avenue Q without... Well, I was going to say, this would be the first time I saw something that utilised the puppeteers and the puppet. Yeah. The, um, you weren't hiding way, the puppeteers. Yeah, until I saw Avenue Q many years later. Yeah. And, um, and I, I still think seeing Avenue Q live was one of the highlights of... Um, Your... One of the best theatrical experiences I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I, I, I reckon I've never laughed so hard probably yeah. than the first time I saw that um, <laughs> Jesus Christ yeah. I saw it off Broadway oh, God. in New York City New York City mm. the home of Alphonse J. Pacino <laughs> Alfredo James Pacino is his actual <laughs> name yeah so but like I think that kicked down the door for that kind of nouveau yeah. puppeteering all that kind of shit I find, I find it so fascinating yeah it's wild it's it. I, I, man, the Broadway musical is as good as the animated I also animated don't think film. I'd ever seen... And this is because I was a kid yeah. when I saw the musical of The Lion King. Fucking actors come running down from the back of the theatre Oh, yeah. Shit. That scared the <laughs> shit out of me. I forgot about that. I think I saw this at the Capitol Theatre. I, I, like, I would have as well, probably. Wow. We might have been at the same... Um, oh, we might have been. Our first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Little eight-year-old kids <laughs> talking about all this shit. That'd be wild. Yeah, dude. So it makes me curious to see what it's going to be. I'm definitely curious, but I'm reserving excitement in a mm. way, I think. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what Favs does with it. Well, it's going to be interesting to see Favs at the flicks. God, and if we can get Fav on the phone, that's what Obviously, I want. that's the dream, but I, at least we get to see Fav at the flicks. Yeah. I hope that he introduces the movie. <laughs> you see a picture of him at the start going, hey, folks. I think he always says, hey, folks. I bet he would. I bet yeah. he's someone hey, who says folks. folks. Yeah, he's going, like, <laughs> hey, folks, thanks for coming to my movie. Um, you know, it's a very money experience for you guys. and. <laughs> It's so money, it doesn't even know it. Yeah, but you will know it soon, so uh, you will love this movie. What's really depressing is that there's no VVF in this. Oh, God, if he could have played Shenzi or something I like know, that. I know, give him a hyena part. Hey, okay, so, uh, yeah, kid, why don't you come over with me and, uh, you know, I'll take you to the freaking elephant graveyards, okay? That's him <laughs> as Scar. 
<laughs> okay, you know. Uh, Run yeah. away, Simba. Run away as yeah. far as you can and never return. Yeah, buddy. don't come back, okay? Never return, pal, okay? <laughs> you know, bring a couple of lionesses over here, bring them up over here. Oh, for sure. He'd be loving the lionesses. Yeah, he'd love Beautiful that. babies. Beautiful babies. <laughs> uh, that was a great conversation about a great movie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I say thank you back to you, sir. Thank you and thank us. What a privilege it is to talk to a cinephile such as yourself on a week-to-week basis. It's honestly one of the great joys of my of my working week. And to <laughs> put a word on it, I'd say pride, much like Simba calls home. Wow. And his family. Yeah. Much like us, yeah, family. Yeah. Um, your name is Cameron James, and you can find you on Twitter, Instagram at I am Cameron James, Facebook. I never talk about that, but you can follow me there. <laughs> Cameron James is funny. Is the Facebook. If page you want to see me share the feed videos, that's kind of all I use it for. Yeah, that's your day job. You got to share those jobs. Yep. Um, I'm doing a live show at the Comedy Store on the 17th of August. Mm-hmm. That's going to be really good. It's my show, Strawberry Blonde. It's very good. This is Cameron's best show, in It'll my be opinion. very fun. I'd love you to come and check that out. I've some already seen music it. So. In it. Well, you've seen it, but I'm talking to the people listening. Oh, okay. I do some songs in there. I do yep. some stand-up. I do some riffing. It's so good. Cameron's never better than when he's on stage by himself, oh unless it's God. with me in a room That's true. in my house. That's when I'm at my best, probably. <laughs> sitting yeah. across from Alexi. Go see it, for come sure. Come check that out. Your name's Alexi Toliopoulos, and people can find you. Twitter, Instagram, this is Alexi. Do not have a Facebook page. If I did, I'd share Cameron's feed videos. <laughs> uh, uh, also, if you listen to this tonight, uh, tonight, Cameron and I have got a show that the Giant Dwarf Theatre. It's called Table Reads. It's me and Aaron Chen putting together a night where we're going to read, uh, get a bunch of funny actors like Cameron to read and bring to life one of our favourite movie scripts. The script is looking for Ella Brundy. There's heaps of tickets sold, but you can probably come in on the door. So just come in and b- come and see it. It's an awesome night honouring one of my favourite flicks. It'll be a sincere moment for me in real life, but I'll try and get a couple of riffs in there. <laughs> it's going to be great. The cast is amazing. Yeah, you've got you. You've got Theo Saden from Superwalk. You've got Conchetta Caristo. You've got Vic Zerps. You've got Jenna Owen. You've got Will Arimio. Mm-hmm. Jordan Raskopoulos. Mm-hmm. Sarah Monsour. Wow. You've also got Melina Maqueda will be there. In the audience. We're not talking about it, but she, it's not... Like, it's happening, but it's not... We're not saying it out loud. Yeah. She will be there. She's going to talk about the thing with me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, until next time, we'll be talking about FabFest online. Head over to patreon.com slash reboot. We've got episodes about Favreau's debut films, his debut script for Swingers, mm-hmm. his debut... His debut directorial effort made... Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about Iron Man. That's the next one. That's the next one. That's the next iron in the fire, if yes. you will. Yes, and something else. And that's just for five bucks a month. And it's an incredible, incredible opportunity for you to listen, <laughs> to listen to more content from us and to join our secret Facebook group. Yeah, the Facebook group's been really great because we're sharing. <laughs> we talked more about the chef show on our last Patreon one. Yeah. So right now there's a thread of people sharing all the food they've been it's making. Actually pretty sick. It's so good. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Um, would you like to leave us with your ruminations on cinema? I shall. Cinema is one of the greatest art forms in the history of mankind, mm. if not the greatest. Yeah. Better than books. Books fucking stink. Movies are like books in their scope and thematic sure, efforts, sure. characterization, but it looks good instead of just words. And it's half the runtime. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, it took me the fucking year to read a book. The movie done in an afternoon. <laughs> That's why they're better. They're smart as well. It's just as smart as a fucking book. And brave. They're brave and they look sick. They Even look sick. long movies like Godfather Part 2 is shorter than a book. That's true. <laughs> That's true. We're like, oh, Godfather's so long. Oh, God. Oh, I can't oh, yeah. watch Apocalypse Why don't you now? pick up a freaking novel and tell me how long that takes? Take dude. you fucking two years it's to read me, The Deer Hunter. It's going to be a year and a half to read this freaking Warren Beatty biopic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's based on a guy in the movie. Yeah. Make the freaking movie of it. Oh, talk- <laughs> now you're talking, okay? <laughs> you do the math. You do the math, idiot. <laughs>